0: The Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode 276 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today I begrudgingly bring you the episode this morning after watching my Syracuse lose a heartbreaker to Maryland in the Carrier Dome. I'm not going to cry over spilled milk or anything. It was a hell of a game. We should all rejoice. Uh, despite the loss, I think we can empirically say at this point, Q seems to be back uh, hanging with Maryland in this one. They even controlled the game for a little bit of that time. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a little, almost every game to a small, small degree. We're going to do a new segment after I talk about the Maryland-Syracuse game where I'm going to go through and show all the overtime winners from the day. And we'll, you know, we're going to talk about almost every game today. So before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Hit the notification bell. You'll be notified when we put out more videos. If you are an audio listener, be sure to just share the podcast with your friends or go follow us on Twitter. So subscribe to us on YouTube, anywhere where we kind of put the videos out and, and you always know when a podcast drops and you can always just go find it. But that's all I really ask. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, support the podcast that way, get some swag, beer mug, whatever the hell you want to do. So let me not uh, digress any further. Let's dive into the first game I want to talk about today. Maryland and Syracuse ended up 13-12 in overtime. Maryland jumped out to an early 5-2 lead. Owen Murphy backed his defender down the alley. He stopped on a dime, turned, and let it rip. Now, it was terrible defense by Trulio, who's proven to be somewhat of a liability at short stick D-mid at times. Didn't even get his hands on Murphy. You could see the defense was frustrated. It was a big no-no. Now, Syracuse would storm back and get back to within a goal, 5-4, thanks to a man-up goal by Michael Leo, dished by Finn Thompson. Too easy of an assist, uh, as Leo did all the work. At this point, Syracuse seemed to finally figure out Logan McNaney, who had stifled the orange for most of the Half uh, had a, McNaney had a very good game overall. Maryland got the scoring started out in the second half. Braden Urksa scored off ball, a dish by Eric Maliver. Maliver got his man hung up on the crease, passed on feeding the first cutter as he came in. Erksa f- uh, filled in behind that first cutter, wide open, and both players held up their end of the exchange. Six four Maryland. Luke Roja would answer for Syracuse to get back to within a goal, and it would be number 22, Joey Spelina, who found the back of the net with 8.36 left in the third. He ran off a pick at X. Ajax Zapatello got hung up. They The defenders didn't communicate. No help came, and Spelina literally just waltzed around the right side of the crease, stuck it uncontested. Uh, six all at this point. And that was really the only time we saw effective pick set for any of the Syracuse attackmen. They need to do more of that. All of Division One lacrosse right now, they are setting picks and running that kind of two-man pick slip all over the field at all different positions. So Syracuse needs to do more of that because it worked in the, in the couple of times they did it in this game. Syracuse would take an 11-9 lead with 10-21 left in the game. Luke Roja, a dodged on the right alley, almost looked like he's about to bang it back, but his defender doesn't get his hands, uh, get on his hands. He puts it past McNaney on the near side low. Odd placement that I bet McNaney wishes he could get back, uh, get another shot at trying to save that one. But Maryland would answer once and then twice the game tying goal coming with 720 left in the fourth. Daniel Maltz from the low crease, a back cut. Wild man up, assisted by Jack Corris. Maryland would go on to take the lead back, a goal by Eric Spanos, his third of the season, just 3.55 left in the game. Spanos's man uh, fell, got hung up on the net of X. Spanos took advantage, takes two steps upfield, wraps it around Mark. And at this point, I felt terrible about this game. I thought this game was over. In the end, I was right. The outcome was what I feared. But I was wrong in terms of the game being over because Owen Hiltz, he was going to take it to the cage with about one twelve or so left on the clock, getting beat up to the point that I was wondering, what's your deal, man? You're forcing it at this point. He tosses what I thought at the time to be an ill-advised pass to the crease to Christian Moulet, who deftly snagged it, got his hands free, buried it past uh, McNaney to tie things up at one o five left in the game. Maliver, he gets off a late shot that missed wide. We end up going to OT. Maryland's going to win the first possession of OT, but Owen Murphy misses Maryland's best look wide. Maryland ended up turning the ball over, gives it back to Syracuse for a chance to win it. Now, after numerous shots on cage with the shot clock at 18, Michael Leo initiated a dodge from the left side of the cage around GLE, got under his man, dove and scored, but the, official waved, waved the, goal, the officials waved the goal off initially. They end up reviewing the play after the, the ensuing clear, and they they upheld the call No goal. And for all the cute boo birds out there, I have to say, while the rule is completely stupid... It, based on how the rule is written, they got it right. Leo's own momentum, it, you can get pushed into the crease as long as it is what they consider a legal push. I believe the contact leading into Leo falling into the crease was what you would call legal. No one really pushed him from behind. They were kind of just riding him from behind and his own momentum in that case or a legal push caused him to go into the goal mouth. No goal. I hate it as much as you. I hate the rule. I think the rule's stupid, but alas, here we are. And then Maryland was able to restart with 113 in the stick of Logan McNaney. They cleared the ball, caught the Q's defense sleeping, and George Stamos, John Stamos's son, one of the most handsome actors in Hollywood, his son scores the game-winning goal for Maryland. He gets behind that Q's defense on that clearing attempt. He's about eight feet in front of the cage, wide open, buried the death note. My heart is broken, and you can all go fuck yourselves. Uh but no, seriously, what a game. Uh you know, in the end, we can kind of look at the the statistics here and we can see one thing Uh, That happened the big matchup here between Ajax Zapatello and Joey Spalina. I got to say Ajax Zapatello won that won that matchup. He goes for four ground balls, a turnover and three cause turnovers to Joey Spalina's. If we can find it in here, wherever he is right here, one goal, two assists off seven shots, not shooting the ball well at all. Uh, six on cage. So McNaney kind of robbed Spallina quite a bit. Uh, Three ground balls, a turnover and a cause turnover. So Spallina doesn't have a great game. One problem for Syracuse that they're going to have to figure out, the attack can't go this quiet. The starting attack for Syracuse, Christian Moulet, one goal off two shots. He scored that game tying goal late, but it was literally the only time Moulet factored the entire game. He pretty much disappeared on the day and maybe that to to some degree that was um, by design but you can't have your starting attack just absolutely disappearing. Maryland's starting attack did not absolutely disappear. Syracuse's generally did and then you look at Owen Hiltz he had the assist to Moulet so literally the only the only point in the game at which uh, Hiltz and Moulet factor is on that that Connection between that for that game time goal. But then you look at Hiltz, he has three turnovers on the day, two shots. Uh, top, Finn Thompson, who's normally an incredible lacrosse player, was a detriment. He hurt the Q's pretty badly with uh, no goals off eight shots. And he took a couple of ill advised shots early, you know, kind of just forcing the situation once he got frustrated. That hurt the orange as well overall. Uh, for Maryland, it was the usual suspects here. Braden Erksa is for real. He is him, four goals and a helper fast as a deer. Jack Corris, throwback midfielder. He goes for three and one on the day off just uh, three shots. So he shoots the rock 100% here with two GBs. He played well. And uh, Maryland, they just got depth in scoring throughout here. Uh, Luke Weirman won 16 of the 29 draws that he took. So credit Syracuse. They go 16 to 29 on the day between um, Cohn and who went uh, 12 of 27, so not quite half. So Weirman did get the better of Cohn, but not by much. And then John Mullen comes in. He was one of two. So Syracuse did kind of shore up the face-offs, but slight edge to Maryland in this game a uh, slight edge to Maryland at the face-off dot, so that definitely played a big role. And then we look at the goalie situation here. Logan McNaney was spectacular. I will say, and I know people who love goalies hate hearing this, but I will say, I felt like Syracuse made it easy on McNaney at times between Spallina shooting like shit and Finn Thompson shooting like shit. Thompson legitimately threw a couple of popcorn Uh, Shots on McNaney that McNaney just snatched up. We're talking stick side high, you know, stick side low. Syracuse didn't shoot the ball particularly well and against a, a good goalie like McNaney, he's going to own you. So I think the big difference in this one ended up being in cage. McNaney was better than Mark on the day. I think defensively, Maryland was much better than Syracuse was on the day overall. And then the Maryland offense kind of figured out some of the problems they had in their first couple of games. Took care of the ball a little bit better, uh, moved the ball a little bit better. Uh, so I think. And then Syracuse, on the other hand, didn't do the things that they, you know, had, you had seen them do against that lesser competition. But in the end, incredible game out of both teams here. Don't let the bullshit rule ruin it. The refs got it right on the field. It's the rule that's stupid, but it was still a hell of a game and Maryland deserved to win it. They won the game in these in, in some of these key areas. If we go in and we look at the man up play, uh, Maryland was two of five on the man ups and Syracuse was one of three. Maryland won the face off by a slight edge. Maryland won the ground balls by a slight edge. Both teams cleared the ball. Pretty pretty well here, saves Maryland wins the saves battle you know and in, in the end, Syracuse does get more shots on cage it 's just the quality of shots for syracuse weren 't great so that 's it that 's all I have to say about that. Uh, it made me sad, but when I woke up this morning, you know you can kind of look back on it and be like, holy shit what a what a game uh, that ended up being it, it impressed everybody and, and actually what a, what a hell, a hell of a job by the ops team up at Syracuse. I mean, the way now that it's, it's almost like watching a hockey game, Syracuse scores a goal, the dome goes not dark, the dome goes weird, blood orange, you know, and dark, and it's actually pretty cool. You'll see it as I rolled the highlights, you'll see some of the celebrations. So good job by the, the ops uh, uh, crew up at the dome as well. Now, new segment here. We're going to talk about some overtime games. Friday night, Whit Crawford scored the sudden death winner in the second overtime period to lift Drexel past UMBC 11-10. A nice feed from Zach Augustine for the easy walk-off finish. It was Crawford's only goal of the game. Augustine put up a goal in a dish for Drexel in the win, but the Dragons were paced by Connor Hooley's four goals. So a hell of a job here uh, uh, to connect here by uh, Whit Crawford and Zach Augustine. You saw the highlight. Another Overtime game here was my local team Binghamton hosted St. Bonaventure and they needed OT to decide the outcome. It was Matthew Keegan who sniped one from the top middle of the field on a feed from Liam Ferris uh, for the Bonnie killing goal. Keegan finished the game with four goals on the day while Liam Ferris put up two goals and a helper for Binghamton. And then the last OT game of the day, you already saw the Syracuse O-team dagger, OT dagger. Marist is now 2-0 after taking down Jacksonville in overtime on Sunday, uh, Saturday, 9-8. to Jack DC stuck the dagger from the crease. Very nice feed from Sean Mullen. Mullen finished a game with two goals and an assist. Marist pulled out the win despite losing 14-21 to draws. Interesting note in this one that I actually wanted to talk about here is if we come down and we look at the goalie statistics in this game. Ryan Larocca of Jacksonville made 15 stops versus nine goals against in regulation. Noble Smith made 16 stops versus eight goals against in regulation. Now the difference in this game, both goalies, 15 saves versus 20 shots versus 23 shots faced in uh, leading into overtime. Noble Smith comes up with a save on Jacksonville's OT possession, and Ryan Larocca didn't return the favor on Marist's first shot on cage in the OT period, and Marist ends up taking this game. All right, so that was the games that went into overtime. We're going to dive into another game that I was uh, that I watched almost the entirety of this game with you know kind of uh, Virginia and Richmond on on the side. It was the number twenty Loyola taking on number nine Hopkins. Uh, the, what is it, Charles Street um, rivalry or whatnot? And uh, Loyola, they kept things interesting through a good chunk of this game, but Hopkins finally put a full game together. We've been saying that Hopkins hasn't come out the gate and played a full game from start to finish. And I think this was the first game you could say they did that and they put a team away uh, and they have a very nice slow burn to a 13-7 win over crosstown rival Loyola. Joey Kamish got Loyola to within a goal seven to six off a quick feed from Seth Higgins that allowed him to get underneath and finished. And at that point, it was, as I said, seven to six Hopkins. But it was all Hopkins from there. Breakout freshman star Hunter Chauvet starts a three-goal Hopkins run. Really nice finish from deep top middle. Put it stick-side left. Pass Stout just out of Stout's reach. Stout, the lefty, lefty goalie from West Jenny, had an incredible game, uh, but that was a very nice goal, very nice play, placement by Chauvet. Jacob Angelus scored the final goal over this run. It made the score 10-6, to a very nice two-man uh, game at X between Angelus and Dylan Bauer, who also had a very nice game. Dylan Bauer did. We'll talk about that a bit. Angelus, uh, Angelus got his guy hung up. He walked around the crease for an easy goal, and uh, it's 10-6, and Hopkins kind of walked from there. This game could have gone bad for Hopkins the way that Luke Stout was playing in the net for the Hounds. He made 17 stops on the day versus 13 goals against. Very hot over the third and fourth quarters. 11 of his 17 saves came over the second half for Luke Stout, so he had a hell of a game. But Hopkins, credit them for continually Coming after them offensively, partly thanks uh, to the success at the faceoff dot over that second half. It was split 4-4 at the half, but Hopkins had a slight edge 9-7 over the course of the third and fourth quarter. That proved pivotal on a couple of their runs where they strung some faceoff wins together. Now, before I get too excited for Hopkins, they did everything in their power defensively to keep Loyola in this. Now you can make the argument that uh, they were just playing physical, but if we come down here and we look at the extra man opportunities, Hopkins committed seven penalties and lucky for them, Loyola was only one of seven on those attempts. So where I say Hopkins played a complete game, they did, they win, they pull away, but defensively they did play, they played aggressive almost to the point of chippiness, and that could have hurt them, it just didn't hurt them in the end. Uh, Loyola cleared the ball like shit, uh, 19-26, whereas Hopkins went 21-22, of that played a factor, Degnan, as we dive into the statistics here for this one. And if we come down into Hopkins here, Garrett Degnan, three goals off 13 shots. Not a great shooting day, but he also picks up five GBs and forced three turnovers, two of them in the midfield area that I believe did end up resulting in goals. Uh, Jacob Angelus quietly puts up three goals and four helpers. The broadcast crew, Quentin, uh, the woman that did the game, they had mentioned how uh, Angelus is kind of like a quiet assassin. The dude just does his business quietly, and by the end of the game, you don't even know How many you don't realize how many points he actually put up, and it usually ends up being a lot in those scenarios. I believe Milliman had said also he he wouldn't have known that Angelus put up the point total that he did, especially as efficient as he's been here. Three goals, four shots. The dude is shooting, lights out when he does get those opportunities. But his quarterbacking, his assists, his vision, his hands, the guy, he's just become an incredible attackman here for Hopkins. Like I said, Dylan Bauer, two and one, he had a pretty nice game. I did turn the ball over a little bit here. Oh well. Uh, And like I said, uh, oh, and then I wanted to mention one thing about Matt Collison. Matt Collison, big boy midfielder. You would think these big boy midfielders are usually bruisers. They just come in and beat you up. They bully dodge you. Collison is developing now, I believe it's his sophomore season, into a a much more complete midfielder than even I thought he was. I I think he's one of the best mids in the country, but I've been surprised at his vision. He had a really nice feed, cross crease feed in this game. Uh, He had a really nice goal coming up from X where he got fed, got a quick shot off left handed and buried it in a corner. So Matt Collison, keep watching him because as Russell Melendez hasn't quite been the Russell Melendez, the hustle Melendez that we saw a season ago. Collison has been huge and he stepped up. And Hunter Chauvet has been huge and he stepped up. Granted, only a goal in this game, but a goal off three shots. Brendan Grimes, a goal. If we dive up here, we see that the Loyola attack was pretty, not totally quiet. They were the bulk of the offense here, but they were limited by Hopkins. A very good defensive effort across the board for Hopkins. Adam Patra goes for two and two. Matthew Minikis, two and one. James Evan, or Evan James, one and one. So they keep that attack crew pretty quiet here. Uh, en route to this win. And then, like I said, at the faceoff dot, Tyler Dunn and Logan Callahan got it done. Callahan's been the guy that's been taking the bulk of the draws, I believe, but they end up going with Dunn. I don't remember in the flow of the game because I was watching two games if that was a calculated decision because Callahan was struggling or if, uh, or what the deal was. Maybe he got hurt. I have no idea, but Hopkins ends up kind of splitting the faceoffs in that one, making that not that big of a deal. Actually, it doesn't look like they did. You know, kind of splitting. I guess kind of splitting is right. In cage, like I said, Luke Stout had an incredible game. 17 saves, 13 goals against. He did everything he could to keep the score reasonable. Without the way he played on this day, uh, Loyola gets routed. They get they get the shit kicked out of him by Hopkins, but he hangs and allows Loyola to hang and make this game respectable. Uh, Chase Erland, I think one of his better games in cage in the day. I think Hopkins was tested, and I think in a, a, a few situations, Erland's saves helped. Is is what helped them continue to separate. Eight, obviously, but nine saves, seven goals against four Erlin, So that is not too bad, not too shabby. Next game I want to talk about here is uh number two, Duke taking on St. Joseph's. Now this game, I, they did hit, they did cover Duke did. I did not think they were going to cover at one point because St. Joe's was playing really tough. It ends up being six, five at the end of the first quarter and they roll through, but I, I don't even know why I was telling you that. Cause I'm going to rip through, we're going to see highlights and you're going to see all this shit here. So They jump out St. Joe's. They hung longer than I expected. They jump out to a 4-2 lead off an unassisted Matt Bomer goal with 6.52 left in the first quarter. He gets underneath his man around GLE, busted a nice dive goal, and uh, now it's 4-2. Freaking St. Joe's, which was pretty crazy early. Now, Duke would go on a three goal run, capped by Dyson Williams from Josh Zawada off a break. McAdory helped force a turnover at midfield on a St. Joe's clearing attempt, and then it goes back up the other way. Easy, easy finish for Williams. St. Joe's was determined to hang. They answered. Mark Waters knotted things up at fives. Nice big midfielder. I, I, I like the look of that Waters kid, and he fits that whole kind of weird Canadian, you know, big, tall, lanky, but strong kind of player, mold that St. Joe's has, I think. Uh, Gets underneath his man off the left wing, buries it. It was his first goal of the season. Duke took the lead back with just a second left in the quarter, but then Colin Reich picked up uh, the the six-all equalizer, dodges from X all the way up the left side, gets it off. Easy score. And uh, that was also his first of the season. And now the score is tied up at six to six. And then Duke shit started happening to St. Joe's. Brennan O'Neill he started a four goal Duke run. His third of the game. This one on a dish from Zawada. It's seven to six Duke. I believe this was a nice cross field pass from Zawada. Uh, O'Neill's open. He's like got his stick up in the air, like give it to me, give it to me. Zawada hits him. He buries it. And then it is 30 seconds later, Max Sloat scored on a dodge from high out top down the left alley, buried it on the run. Now it's eight to six Duke. Andrew McAdory dodged hard from the top middle towards the right, banged it back to Zawada, who found Ben Johnston on the right wing. He smokes it, 9-6 Duke. And then it's Dyson Williams that capped the run, making it 10-6 off yet another assist by Josh Zawada, his third of the run, fourth of the game. He finished the game with six assists, no goals, no shots. The dude just decided to help out all his pals, and that was all she wrote for poor St. Joseph's. Now, face-offs, they play a big factor. Uh, Let's get in here, and we're going to look at this. Yeah, we look at the face-offs here. Uh, Face-offs played a big factor in the outcome of this game. St. Joe's goes Four of 11 in the first quarter. Got a bunch of solid saves. They're able to kind of hang a little bit. They go two of 18 the rest of the game at the faceoff dot, if I did my math correctly. That hurt them. That allows Duke to take control and then slowly but surely pull away and then cover the spread and win my bet for me here. The Duke defense forced 15 turnovers with four guys each picking up two cause turnovers. It's uh, Jake Silson, Kenny Brower, Jake Caputa. Uh, Caputo and Tyler Carpenter. They pressed the Saints all over the field. St. Joe's took advantage of that early on and was able to score some goals while being pressed, but at some point, you're eventually going to break. Duke broke them. They didn't handle the pressure well the entire game, and that's your margin of victory. Uh, it was the O'Neill and Zawada show. O'Neill finished with six goals off 13 shots. Zawada put up six helpers, no shots. Very good game out of the Duke attack. Dyson Williams goes 3-1 off six shots. Next up for Duke, a Jacksonville team that's now coming off an OT loss to Marist, as we showed you, that's going to be played in Durham. Like I said, faceoff dot was absolute killer here. Cal Girard, he goes four of four in the mop-up duty takes that he took, but Jake Naso goes 20 of 26. After losing some early, dude just goes on a run and then barely lost again. Uh, We see other scores kind of filling it out for Duke here. Andrew McAdory, two goals, Ben Johnston, two goals, Max Sloat two goals, Aiden McGuire, a goal. So they get scoring uh, deep into their roster. Patrick Jamison, 12 saves, nine goals against. There was a period where Griffin Rackauer, the Princeton transfer came in, makes three saves, one goal against. I don't know why that happened. I didn't see. I just noticed all the sh- all of a sudden it was Rackauer who got scored on. And then I see Jamison back in. So at one point I thought maybe Duke had benched Jamison, which I thought was weird because he wasn't playing terrible. And But then he ends up coming back in, finishes the game and gets the win. Big day for him. Duke wins the game, and that is all I'm going to talk about in terms of that one. Georgetown playing a must-win game against number 19 Penn. Georgetown playing their third game of the year. Penn playing their first. The Ivies get those late starts. I never liked that. And then the Ivies, credit to them, they get late start compared to everybody else, and then they just play absolute murderer's row non-conference schedule-wise. Most of them do. So this game's telecast was marred by technical difficulties. Absolutely terrible. But Georgetown, Georgetown, credit to them for the first time in a bit, looked good both offensively and defensively based on what I was able to see. Aiden Carroll struck first, making it one-zip Georgetown. The Hoyas would go on to score the game's first five goals. I can't show you the highlights because we don't have them because of the technical difficulties. Uh, They ended the first quarter with a 5-0 lead. Big reason for that. Transfer faceoff man James Ball factored heavily. He won six of the first six draws over the course of that first quarter and the Georgetown scoring run. Penn would climb back. They'd get to within two goals on a few occasions. First at 5-3, then again at 8-6. It was Tynan Walsh scored a man-up goal on a dish from Gabe Fury with eleven twenty eight left in the third. Penn was starting to show some life at this point, and I had Penn beating Georgetown in a bet, and it didn't work out for me here. Leo Hoffman would score down the right alley with ten forty three left in the game. That made it 11-9 Georgetown, but the highly touted recruit for Penn scored two goals in his debut, both coming in the fourth quarter uh, as Penn tried to claw back into this game. Graham Bundy Jr. scored the final goal of the game with just over five minutes left. A nice feed from TJ Haley for an easy dunk. That made it 12-9 Hoyas, and that is how the game ended. Now, I got this one wrong. Like I said, I picked Penn to win, but the Hoyas showed up. They played on both ends of the field. Excellent win for them. I called it a must-win. Last year, they started 0-3 and still made the NCAA tournament, but still. Uh, I think offensively also, they they, they looked more aggressive Overall, they looked a bit more crisp. They still had 15 turnovers, but I think a lot of those turnovers came with just playing loose and playing playing fast and playing loose, and I think they look better overall. Graham Bundy Jr., big reason for the win here. We dive into the Georgetown stats. We see Graham Bundy Jr., four goals, two helpers off five shots, the most efficient game he's played to date here. TJ Haley, five helpers, just a shot. We've seen a lot of that. Guys just saying, hey, today I'm the feeder. I'm not even going to shoot the rock. I'm just going to throw dimes at my teammates here. Aiden Carroll, 3-1. Jordan Ray, 2-0. So Georgetown finally gets some production offensively. Uh, James Ball, like I said, 17 of 23, 9 GBs. I've been talking about this. Anytime you see a face-off guy win 17 draws and, nine, and he only has 9 GBs, that means he's getting a lot of help from his friends on the wing. So that's important. Georgetown face-off unit as a whole helping them eke this win out a little bit. And then if we look at the Penn scores, Tynan Walsh, Tynan Walsh, three and zero. You know, Penn's going to have to figure out who's their offensive stud. I think that uh, Leo Hoffman's going could eventually be that guy, but somebody, you know, they're they're it's their first game. They're going to have to figure some shit out o- offensively. I think credit to them for playing well in their first game uh, against a Georgetown team It's very good that's playing their third. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how. I don't know how that how, how how much that plays, but you know Penn they didn't make any excuses. Uh, they said they shot themselves in the foot. Georgetown played well. Uh, Penn's coach even made made mention in the post game presser um, saying that even if. Uh, this wasn't their first game. I forget how he worded it, but he implied like even if this was like our second or third game, the way Georgetown played this game, they were going to win because they won matchups where they needed to. And over that first quarter, that's the killer. You see those first five goals, you can't go down five goals to a team like Georgetown and, uh, Georgetown and expect to not struggle through the rest of the game. So even though Penn put some nice runs together, Georgetown, that five-zip lead, was too much. And that, that's that's different for Georgetown because Georgetown's been the team that has lost because they've had slow starts uh, uh, previously over the last two seasons in certain games. And this time they kind of flipped that script and they rip it off. Richmond. Uh, we're going to get to the point where we're not going to show as many highlights here. I'll show a couple of highlights while I'm going through this game here. Richmond hung. They hung tough. UVA, you can see they jump out to a 6 3 lead at some point in this game after Richmond takes a 2 0 lead. So Peyton Cormier, he ends up scoring. Uh, off a a Ryan Colsey feed, Ryan Colsey's developing nicely for, for Virginia. Uh, but Virginia, Virginia takes that six, three lead, but then you see back to eight, seven, Aiden O'Neill scored unassisted to get Richmond back into it. Eight to seven, Virginia answers, Dalton Young scores, nine, eight Hunter Smith scores for Richmond. And now it's nine up, and we're like, holy shit, we got a ball game here. I was already, I was popping off at the mouth on Twitter saying how I think the, the only thing you're going to see, the worst thing you're going to see out of Virginia this year uh, against non-conference teams and in, in games that they should win is that maybe they don't win by as much as they should. And then at this point, I'm like, holy shit, are they actually going to lose? Because I said I think their only loss will come to a team like Notre Dame or Duke or somebody like that. Um, But then Virginia goes on that three goal run. Jack Boyden uh, scores, Peyton Cormier scores. Both of those were assisted by Schellenberger. Peyton Cormier scores uh, to make it 12-9, assisted by McCabe Millen. And while Richmond would get one more back, Virginia would go on to win 14-10. And uh, one thing is we keep seeing here over and over again is out of these big teams is one player kind of has been hurting each of these teams, like we saw in the Syracuse game, Thompson and Spallina's shooting, but more importantly, Thompson shooting. He scores no goals, eight shots, 0 for 8. That's a lot of offensive possessions you're giving up here. It was Cormier that hurt Virginia a little bit in this game. He scores three goals, and then in that process also becomes the all-time leading scorer, uh, goal scorer for Virginia. But uh, 15 shots. Three goals off 15 shots is terrible. That's, that caused Virginia to struggle a little bit here early on. Uh, but then once they started figuring it out, they roll. McCabe Millen, 2-2. Two two. Jack Boyden, the toughs transfer, 2-2. Two two. Ryan Colsey, the freshman midfielder who should be at Syracuse, 2-1. and one. Uh, So you're seeing some of the young guys now chip in. Uh, Terenzi had, two, And then you're seeing some of the guys that factored more heavily last year, like Griffin Schutz, uh, McIntosh. McIntosh, they're not scoring as much. But either way, good stuff. And then faceoff wise for Virginia, uh, Gobriel he, he uh, Gobriel he continues to impress. Fifteen to twenty four on the day for Virginia, so they win that battle at the faceoff dot. They win the game. Noons had another very good game in cage, twelve saves versus ten goals against. Zach Veek for Richmond looked good as well, helped keep Richmond in it. Seventeen saves, just fourteen goals against. So hell of a game uh, by Richmond. They're they're continuing to impress. So I mean, once again, I keep waiting for that year where Richmond is down and uh, every year they just keep coming back and playing tough lacrosse. So I, I assume with what they've looked like so far that they're going to be able to handle their conference play. And probably get you know have a very good shot of getting themselves into the NCAA tournament. Uh, another game scared me a little bit early because Rutgers jumped out to a two zip lead, and then Army took a commanding nine three lead after Gunnar Fellows scores a man up goal dished by Reese Burrick. That was with five thirty seven left in the game, and it was over from there. Army goes on to roll sixteen to seven scoring for army, Evan Plunkett, four goals, two helpers. Jacob Morin was 3 and 1, uh, one Jackson Iker 3 and 0, Reese Burrick, 2 and 1, Gunner Fellows 3 and 0. So army gets depth in scoring and they get actually good chunk scoring from the top half of their roster. Will Coletti as always was great, 17 to 25. That ends up being, you know, the the the, the aspect of this game that Rutgers could just not overcome was a, a possession disparity. Shane Knobloch and uh, Colin Kurt Cordilla both go for three goals. Cordilla's kind of a new guy. I haven't heard about him very much. And uh, from the goalie battle here, um, Rutgers still trying to figure it out. They, they've been used to having some really good goalie play the last couple of years. This year is the first year where they're not you know, just stout in cage. Uh, Matt Chess, he makes uh, eight saves against seven goals against for Army. And Army wins this game over Rutgers. That's, a, that's a become a pretty good rivalry also, Army versus Rutgers. Denver, Utah hung early. Another one of these games here, where Utah, you know, early over over the course of that first quarter, it was a pretty close game. But then Denver slow burned this to a sixteen to eight win overall. I figured Denver was going to be able to take this one. I just, I'm glad they took it by a margin too, because Denver's starting to find themselves overall. Uh, Michael Lampert. Three goals, two helpers. JJ Silstrop, two and two. Uh, Joshua Carlson, four and oh. Noah Manning, two and one. Richie Connell, a guy that I thought when he transferred to Denver was going to put up a shit ton of points, has been quiet there still. Hasn't quite found his place. Faceoff, dot as always. Alex Stathakis is a demon. 18 to 26, wreaking havoc on all of the opponents that they throw at him. 10 ground balls. Once again, that means he's getting some help from his friends on the wings. Uh, so that is good out of Denver. And then Denver defensively has a very good game here as they've got three guys forced three turnovers and then uh, Adam Hanglin uh, forced two. Jack De-, De Benedetto, Chris Caldwell, and Casey Wilson are the guys that each put up three cause turnovers for Denver in the win. And then goalie play, Malcolm Cleban comes out. I've been chirping Denver's goalie play. I've chirped Malcolm Cleveland on a couple of occasions, but the kid comes out, 14 saves against eight goals against, he wins the goalie battle. His team smokes the game. And now you guys get to look at ads. And you know what the funny thing is? These are my clients. You're seeing ads from uh, some of my clients on here. Uh, Cornell, their first action of the the season, they take on Lehigh. It ends up being Michael Long goes three and four on the day. Uh, uh, absolute killer of an attackman, CJ Kirst. He's three and one. Scott Cole, Lehigh's big cat. Don't front on Scott Cole. Dude's going to put up a bunch of points. He did everything he could for Lehigh six goals and a helper. But in the end, 17 13. Uh, Cornell handles it in their first outing. In cage for Cornell, it is Wyatt Nust. Um, Noost. I wonder if it's Noost. My name's Hoost, not Hust. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, 14 saves, 13 goals against. He wins the goalie battle. And then at the face-off dot, now we're going to have to read these stupid ads. Cascadden, uh, Jack Cascadden, he was a face-off guy last year. 21-28, 75%. Pretty fucking solid right there. And Cornell rolls in this one. Stony Brook, Penn State. Penn State here, they, like we had talked about, they lose to Colgate. They rebound after losing to Colgate. They beat Villanova up. They beat Stony Brook here in this one, uh, not handily, but you know by a margin here. Will Peden one and three. Matt Trainer three and one. Matt Costin three and zero. Oh. So uh, uh, Penn State gets some scoring from their big cat. Uh, goalie play for still not playing like the all American that everyone expected him to be, but he does put up 50, uh, stops 50% of the shots he faces and at the face off dot slight edge goes to Penn state, uh, Cole Colby Baldwin wins 15 of 28. And you know, that's pretty much the story of that game that I did not watch. I did not watch that game. Not even for a minute. Uh, Air Force, Ohio State. I was pleased to see Air Force or Ohio State win this one by the margin they did. They've been struggling. They haven't been able to figure out who they are offensively. I believe it's uh, Bobby Van Buren hasn't been playing defensively. I'm not sure if he played in this game or not. Uh, but they get some scoring here. And I was looking at this. I mean, I'm not sure who these dudes are. Like I'm sitting here kind of going through the list here, and I mean, this is like a totally new-look offense for Ohio State, so no wonder they're struggling trying to figure out their identity, but while I say that, they're still 4-0, and so uh, credit to them for handling their business as they try to figure some things out. In terms of the goalie battle, Caleb Fayok, nine saves, only four goals against, but more importantly... If you guys saw this, Caleb Fajak scored a goal in this game. I don't know what it looked like. I'm going to see if I can try to find that goal, and I'll roll that highlight over here. But we have a goalie goal in the Ohio State game. Faceoff dot. Tommy Burke did not dominate the way I thought he would. His buddies, though, come in. They take four additional face offs for him. They go three or four in those. He goes nine of 16. So they handle their business at the dot, although I bet you Burke wishes he was 10 or 11 out of 16 here. And, uh, you know, Ohio State's now 4-0. and and they've got Virginia, Cornell, and Notre Dame coming up. That's an absolute murderer's row over the next three weeks for Ohio State. So they're glad they started 4-0 and handled their non-conference business because their non-conference schedule is going to be brutal before they get in here. And not only that, they play Cornell, Notre Dame, uh, or no, Virginia, Cornell, Notre Dame. They got a little reprieve there with Detroit, Mercy, and then Denver. And then from there, it just goes Big Ten. Penn State, Rutgers, Maryland, Hopkins, Michigan. I mean, Ohio State's got a hell of a schedule uh, this year through the rest of the season. The only reprieve in the middle of that schedule is going to end up being Detroit, Mercy, which is absolutely crazy. St. John's. They got beat up by Delaware. Only reason I wanted to see this one is I wanted to see what the killers on attack did for Delaware, and Mike Robinson did not disappoint. Seven goals off uh, 15 shots. J.P. Ward was three and four on the day, so the usual suspects for Delaware uh, got jiggy with it, and they put up a shit ton of points in beating up St. John's. Uh, in cage, Ke- Kevin Ellington, uh, nine saves, six goals against. That's an excellent job here. And then at the face-off dot, Nothing great. OJ Morris, seven of 12. You know, so they handled their business at the dot. Not great, though. Actually, St. John's didn't do too bad. But Delaware picks up the win. They're now 2-0. Michigan and Hobart. This game was actually kind of close early, and I was thinking, holy shit, man, is Hobart now going to be a Big Ten school after Colgate had pulled it off here? Not so. Michigan ends up putting getting their shit together, and they route them over the course of the second half. Michael Bame 2-5. Justin Tiernan, 5-0. Bo Lockwood, 1-3. In terms of the goalie battle, Hunter Taylor looked very good. 12 saves, six goals against... And then at the faceoff dot, Wheatfelt still not, the, 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 the Michigan faceoff unit is not having the, the amount of success they had a season ago. Wheatfelt comes in preseason All-American. I'm thinking the dude's going to roll this year, has not been the case thus far. He's been good. He hasn't been bad. He's been good, but not as good as what everyone thought here. Adam Shea, he's sneaky good though. He's, he, he tends to play well against good faceoff guys, and then at times he'll just get smoked by a clown. But Adam Shea, credit to him. Uh, I think that probably helped Hobart hang a little bit early in this game as well. Wagner-Lemoyne, I'm talking about this one because it's Lemoyne's first Division I lacrosse game, and so far they've never lost a Division I lacrosse game. They are 1-0. They beat the shit out of Wagner, 17-6. Joey Pezzamenti, 2-7 on the day for Lemoyne. Seth Benedict, 4-2 in terms of their goalie battle uh, Carter room goes for 13 saves, six goals against. I mean, holy shit. It was a rough day to be a goalie for Wagner. Rudy Zarati goes, uh, two saves, seven goals against Nate. Yi goes one save 10 goals against. So their goalies put up an absolute stinker in this one. Sam Getty, he wins 59% of the draws for Lemoyne. They win their first division one game. Congrats to them. I forgot they were D one. And all of a sudden I was like, what the hell is Lemoyne doing on the, the division one, uh, lacrosse schedule here. North Carolina, 19-8 to over Fairfield. Uh, Dominic Petramala looks like the rookie is starting to find his feet. 5-2 and two in this one, 38% shooting. Owen Duffy, the other youngster, 3-4. and four. Then you get the grizzled vet, Logan McGovern, 3-2. and two. So North Carolina looking a little bit better offensively. I think they're still struggling a bit. Defensively is going to be one of their problems. In cage, they got to thank God for Colin Krieg. Eight saves against four goals against. Their backup goalie got some time in this one as well. And at the faceoff dot, Brady Wambach, 14 of 17. So that that would prove to me here that uh, Carolina's struggling defensively, though, because you win 14 of 17. 80, I don't know what the percentage was on the day, but it looks like Carolina won a huge, uh, overwhelming majority of the faceoffs, and they still only beat Fairfield 19 to 8. So Carolina's still figuring some shit out, but they still pick up a win, and they're 2-0, so they're not going to complain too much here. I thought UMass was going to trounce UMass Lowell. I took a bet for UMass to cover. They did not, and I lost that bet. Uh, Carter Castillo goes for three helpers here. The scoring for UMass is all the way spread out. What did the drip slash the Riz King do here. Caleb Hammett, 15 of 21 for UMass. So that ends up factoring heavily in this win. Without that, what does UMass end up doing? All-American goaltender Matt Note, 10 saves versus seven goals against. So he plays well uh, between face-offs, goalie play. They win those battles. They win the game. I like to say that a lot. I I bet you that gets annoying for all you motherfuckers. Harvard beat the shit out of Providence. Sam King goes for three and five. Graham Blake, six and zero. Teddy Malone, five and one. So they get a bunch of scoring here out of their top three. And then goalie play Christian Bernard looked good. 63% of, uh, stopped 63% of the shots he faced. Andrew DeGenero 16 of 23 at the faceoff dot. So our first look at Harvard against the Providence team that people have been hyping up. I don't know why, because now they're one and two and they just got their dicks kicked in by Harvard. But hey. Uh, Harvard ends up picking up the win in their season opener Villanova taking on Yale another game that I just didn't get to watch Lee uh, interesting enough here uh Chris Lyons and what's his nuts um I'm drawing a blank on the other dude's name. They did not play the two young attackmen for Yale. Neither of them played, but Matt Brandau ends up being enough to get it done. He goes two and four. David Anderson three and zero. Carson Cool three and zero. So Yale without two of their top scorers, Leo, what is it, Leo Johnson and Chris Lyons, two of their top scorers are missing. They still win the game, which is impressive considering it. You know they're playing Villanova and Villanova loves fucking people up in weird situations. Uh, Paquette in cage just forty five percent. Uh, face off dot. We almost went to one of my client sites here. Uh, face off dot Machado Rodriguez, 54%. Uh, so they win the bulk of the draws. They win the game here, but you know, I don't know what happened to Lions and Johnson, but they're going to want to get them back for damn sure. And that is it. Holy shit. Talked about all of those games here. There's a bunch of other ones. I bet. Yeah. I missed a couple Colgate ekes out a win over Albany by a goal. So that one was pretty close. Vermont beats Manhattan 12-9, so they pick up a win. Hofstra over Siena by 2, holy cross edged Sacred Heart by a goal. Buck Bucknell beats Dartmouth at home 15-13. Quinnipiac beats Brown 13-7. So there's an Ivy League team that lost. Bellarmine loses to Canisius. That was a pick. I figured Bellarmine was going to win that game. I was very sure. In fact, Bellarmine was going to win that game. They didn't. Make me look dumb. Uh, what else we got? What Did we not mention anything else? LIU beats Merrimack by two. And that's all she wrote, folks. Today, we got games Queens uh, on and High Point, Princeton, Monmouth, Mount St. Mary's, and New Jersey Tech. And then the night cap, I should say the afternoon cap, uh, Marquette is going to take on Notre Dame. Notre Dame actually hitting the road to play Marquette in this one. Uh, I think Notre Dame's going to roll, but I think Marquette's a scrappy team, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out there. So. That's all folks. Uh, be sure. I'm going to put out some more videos here later in the week. Uh, be sure to come Thursday for the weekend preview show where I'll preview all of the games here that are going to be played next weekend. Uh, Syracuse plays Wednesday. So they got a big one, uh, coming up on Wednesday. If we look here, we'll see what kind of weekday games we have. I already talked about these Tuesday. We've got like a full slate of games coming Tuesday. Uh, Penn's going to host Albany. Boston U will be hosting Brown. I like Boston U in that one. UMass against Marist. VMI in Hampton. Robert Morris traveling to St. Bonaventure. Canisius against Hobart. And, you know, here I'm shitting on Canisius, and they end up winning their first game, so maybe they can hang with Hobart. Princeton's going to thrash Manhattan, Harvard, Bryant, and then Lafayette-Drexel. And then we shoot to Wednesday. We've got Cuse hosting Utah, a noon game on Wednesday, which is nuts. Then Yale and Colgate, Sacred Heart failure. So we got a shitload of games here to watch. Thursday, we're off before we hit uh, some ACC action, some uh, Friday night ACC action with Duke taking on Jacksonville. That St. Joseph's Townsend game uh, coming up here on on uh, Friday should be good too. That was the game I didn't talk about. Townsend beating the shit out of Navy. How did I not talk about this? Nick DeMeo goes for four and five. Mikey Weishar goes four and two at Navy. It's almost as if they didn't travel with everybody. They just come out and get absolutely rolled by Towson. Luke Downs and Cage absolutely shut Navy down 70% between the pipes. Faceoff dot kind of even, but still edge to Towson. So that was the one game I didn't talk about that I was surprised about. So, all right, that's it. I'm shutting up as always be sure to go to laxfactor.com, support the pod by buying a t-shirt, buy a beer mug, whatever the hell you want to do, do it. All I really ask though, share the show with your friends, like, and subscribe, do all of those things. If you are an audio listener on some podcast platform, at least go throw me a follow on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, even if that's not where you traditionally watch, just help us grow a little bit. And uh, like I said, come back thursday for the weekend preview shows we'll preview all the games that are going to be played this weekend and this week we will be forced on thursday to talk about some of the games that had been played up to that point so uh the, the the thursday preview show is really going to be become the weekday review games and the weekend preview it's going to do both so that's it as always thank you for watching thank you for listening and hoost is out The Laps Factor Podcast.